Welcome to Tories in 10, where we explore important legal and business developments in just 10 minutes and discuss how they may affect your organization. Hi, I'm Christine DeBacco. I'm a, a partner at Tories LLP and also chair of the Emerging Companies and Venture Capital Practice here. And I'm Marco Tribune, a senior associate at Tories LLP in the Emerging Companies and Venture Capital Group and also in the M&A Group. Today we're going to talk about tips for founders getting ready for their first round of financing. Christine, do you want to tell us a bit about your, your background because I think it's very relevant for um, our listeners to hear. Sure. I've worked in this startup space for a very long time. Um, I'm uh, Canadian and just moved back to Canada a few months ago, but spent a large part of my career working um, in the U.S. technology world. So not nine years uh, in Silicon Valley and then three years with the same firm in the, uh, leading their New York City office and in that really exciting tech space there. So I've spent a long time working with um, some of the you know most disruptive kind of game-changing household technology companies from you know, two founders getting started through to seeing those uh, companies through through a sale or IPO, and also spent a, a big chunk of my time working with some of the leading venture capital and strategic investors as they deploy capital into startups. So that's the um, perspective that we're going to, you know, from which we'll talk about today in terms of how you can get a company uh, ready for raising that that first round of institutional funding. So, what are are two big uh, tips that you would give founders before they? go out and raise their first round of money? Yeah, I think they're tied to the two big things that investors care most about. One is intellectual property, so the company's IP, um, and the other is team. Um, and those are you know, kind of the most critical parts of, of building, uh, you know, building a, a venture-backable business. So I think, I think we can unpack those because in, in each of those categories, there's, there's a few, few things to think about. Maybe we'll tackle IP, IP first. You know, the, the critical thing here is making sure that the company itself, right, you, you need to be incorporated and have an entity, uh, make sure that the company itself owns the intellectual property, n not the founders or not people who work for the company in their, in their personal capacity. So, you know, a few things flow out of that. One is uh, it's pretty common for founders to, you know, to start working on a business before they've actually formally legally incorporated the company. And so when you do get around to incorporating, which, you, you know, you should do sooner rather than later, you need to make sure that all that pre-incorporation IP, so the stuff you created before you had an entity, gets assigned into the company. And there's different ways to structure that, um, and your counsel can help you through that, but, but you need to make sure the intellectual property gets assigned into the company. Um, I think, you know, there are, uh, can be some hairy issues here if you've been working for another employer before you, um, you know, before you left, uh, or you've been working at a prior employer kind of while you're starting a new business on the side, you'll need to make sure that there aren't any limitations in your ability to do that um, and make sure that Nuco, uh, you know, owns the IP. So I do flag that issue for people who are, you know, moonlighting, um, moonlighting for their new startup. Um, the other related piece here is making sure that, you know, w once you have an entity and that initial IP is assigned in, that on a going forward basis, the company owns everything. And the way you achieve that is making sure that anybody who works for the company in any capacity, so that's, you know, founders, employees, contractors, advisors, um, on day one of their uh, of their relationship with the company, they need to sign a, a document, um, and the document's a little different depending on on the category they fall into. But but sign a document with the company where it's very
very clear that that IP is owned by the company itself and not not by the person. Um, and you know these are very standard forms that you should get from your counsel, and um, you know they, they'll need to have the magic language in them. And then you just need to make sure that on day one everybody signs the appropriate documentation. It's something investors will ask about. Um, they may want to see each and every agreement. You'll certainly have to give reps that you know that everybody has signed these. Um, and it's really tough sometimes to go find people later if they've left the company, especially on bad terms. So the best practice here is on, on day one of, of a person's uh, relationship with the company, you know, they, they sign the appropriate document. Which is why one of our, we, one, in our package to our clients, we always include as part of that a standard form document for IP assignment. Yeah, exactly. And, and and the form's a little different depending on, like I said, whether someone's an employee or a contractor or advisor. Um, but 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 at its core, they all do the same thing, which is get that IP ownership into the company. Um, you know, the other related point here around IP is, you know, now that the company owns all the the intellectual property, you need to make sure that you're thoughtful about your IP protection strategy, and that's a little different for everybody depending on the type of business you're building. So, you know, in law school, they teach us that. IP ownership is actually a basket of rights, and I, I always kind of like that analogy because there are different tools at your disposal. There's, you know, there's patent rights, there's trademark rights, um, there's copyright, um, there's, you know, there's trade secret uh, protection, and so it's a host of tools. And the the selection and use of those tools will be different for for companies depending on what they're building. So, you know, the IP strategy and tools for a you know software or SaaS business is very different probably than what a consumer hardware or you know consumer e-commerce business would use. Um, so it's you know working with uh, good counsel to figure out okay given wh where the value is in our business um, how do we best protect that and what are the you know various tools we, we need to use to make sure that we um, that we're protecting the company's intellectual property, um, ma making the right filings if it's going to be you know patent or, or trademark filings, um, and that you're thoughtful about this because if it's something investors will ask about, um, and they certainly don't expect that as a young company with limited resources that you've you know done every filing in every jurisdiction in the world. That's just not realistic. But they will want to know that you've been thoughtful about this and you've done kind of the key and core filings you need for your business. The next. Um big issue we were going to discuss is the, the diligence on the team and a big piece of that is the equity component. Did you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, this is super, super important um, and something that needs to be, you know, uh, extremely well, well documented and the company needs to be very careful about it. Um, investors will care a lot about what the company's cap table looks like, who, you know, who owns what um, and, and making sure that everybody who you know, who thinks they have an ownership claim in the company is in fact reflected on, on the cap table. So, uh, you know, there's a few things coming out of here. You need super clear documentation from an equity perspective on, you know, who owns what. Um, and this should always be expressed as, you know, absolute share numbers. You don't want, um, per, you know, percentages used because that's confusing, you know, percentage of what, me me measured when. So you want really clear ownership documentation that, you know, Marco owns 10,000 10, shares um, and he's paid for those shares and it's all good, you know, sa same on options. Um, the other important piece here is I think, you know, with founders, especially in the early days, there, there can be a tendency to make, you know, promises around equity to people who are doing things to help the company. And I think that's fine, but you need to quickly document those promises and reduce them to, you know, a, a subscription agreement or share purchase agreement where people actually get the shares that they uh, have been promised. Um, and there's, you know, n no dispute about, about who, who owns what. Um, so that's critically important. Investors want to know that they're putting in X dollars for Y percentage of the company, and if the um, if the capitalization records don't reflect everybody, then the, then those ownership percentages are off, of course. 
Um, the other related piece of this is, is the concept of vesting. So um, it's 100% standard for anybody who works for a startup, um, whether they're an employee, uh, you know, contractor, advisor, that the equity they get, um, whether it's you know, restricted stock at the early days or maybe options, is subject to vesting. Um, and the concept there is that you need to stick around and add value and, and earn into that equity. Um, and so you need to make sure that those vesting schedules are, are very clearly documented um, and that people, you know, people understand what, what the requirements are. And it's something that investors will absolutely uh, expect and require, um, including for the founders. They want to know that the founders are incentivized to stick around. Uh, over the life of their vesting schedule at least to, to earn their equity. So if you're a founder who does not have vesting on your equity, you should expect that when you go negotiate your first round of funding with an institutional investor, that that will be uh, one of the most important points that's negotiated is, is putting you on a vesting schedule. And the standard vesting schedule is? Yeah, it's a four-year vest, one-year cliff for founders and employees. Uh, for advisors and contractors, you sometimes see mm -hmm. Uh, you know, alternate vesting, maybe a two or three year vest m monthly. Um, so that, that can be a little different. So yeah, and I mean, I think so IP and, and team are, are, the, are the two big things. There's a whole bunch of other stuff we can cover, of course, but um, we have I to think, stay true to our name, Tories and Ten. Exactly. So I think the other, last piece of advice I give to founders is, you know, when you're starting on the fundraising journey, start early. Um, uh, the fundraising process always takes longer than you think it will. So, you know, start talking to and meeting investors kind of well in advance of uh, when you actually want to raise your first round of funding. Thank you. We've certainly covered enough for today and we'll have to explore future topics in future podcasts. Thanks. Talk soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find more insights from our lawyers on Tories.com.